0: Are you going to do it? I was, I got it out to do it. I just, there's something about crochet that I just, I got a lot of quit in me when it comes to crocheting. (laughs) And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones.
1: Hello, and welcome to Freudian Sips,
0: the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS.
1: I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And wow, it's getting weird in here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're weird or sober, I think. I know. I think we drink to be normal. I
1: think we balance out a little bit when we drink, but um, <laughs> yeah. We're trying to be uh, very even keel today. This whole safe shelter thing. So we are a couple weeks into, is that what they call it? Shelter in place. Shelter in place. Mm. Oh, sorry, but I squeaked my chair. <laughs> That's how I feel about <laughs> sheltering in place. No. Yeah, we uh, are
0: are recording this. In all transparency, we are recording it in the same room, but we are over three feet apart.
1: We are. And we didn't hug each other when we saw each other today. That's hard. That's very hard. We're both huggers. (laughs) Huggers are suffering during this time, I must say. It is a tough time to be a hugger. So yeah, if if you listen to this particular episode at a different time, Anne always makes fun of me for this, (laughs) but I'm very aware that with podcasts, you listen to it, sometimes you listen to a bunch at one time or you listen to them... Not right when they're released.
0: Right. We are recording this during the COVID crisis of 2020.
1: And so we are, we talked a little bit about not, not doing, not recording today because we're trying very hard to follow all the rules. In fairness, one of the rules just basically says not to be in a group of more than 10 people. So we're obviously not doing that. The other part of it that we talked about was that we wouldn't hug mm-hmm. and that we would stay across the table from each other and that the the fact is that I'm her mom. So <laughs> so we were kind of questioning that, like, where's that line with family members? And, right. Right um significant others and things like that that you don't separate yourself I guess from those people if you can help it
0: we don't want to totally isolate you from your social environment right like I mean we talked last week we had a whole episode about the COVID-19 stuff but we talked about you know utilizing technology and stuff but I know full well as someone who's now doing like phone counseling more Mm -hmm. often than never which is when I was doing it before Mm -hmm. uh that sucks. <laughs> right. It's a lot easier to have in-person contact. Exactly. So it's hard to find that balance.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty big thing for us right now as counselors. This is is changing the way we do our job big time. Mm-hmm. I have still seen some people in person, but again, we're being very careful about the distance thing. And right. It's awkward. Cleaning you know, a lot more. Yeah, um... using all kinds of sprays and wipe down. we spray and- them as soon as they come in <laughs> yeah i just spray them all over turn around please okay we've installed no. a little
0: like uh <laughs> like car wash but yeah for people. when they
1: come down the hallway they have to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have put like hand sanitizer in my car now yeah that like every time i get in and out of my car like, I- wait, 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're all we need to all be careful and and protect one another so that's what we're trying to do So, can we talk about something else?
0: Yeah, let's not talk about that anymore. Okay,
1: what do we need to talk about before we start our information for today?
0: Uh, I want to talk about The Elephant in This Room, at least, which is the (laughs) Freud show that's on Netflix now. I had no idea it was on there until... Mom, you texted me and said, "Have you seen that there's a <gasps> Freud show on Netflix?" And I said, "What? <laughs> I haven't actually watched it, but you watched the first episode. I did.
1: How I did. is it? Apparently, it's like an eight. They're they're titling it an eight part series. Limited.
0: They're, they've been yeah. doing a lot of limited series yeah. things. So like it's not just full eight series. eight
1: parts. Yeah. And um, it's originally recorded in German. So when you watch it, at least for me, that's kind of a that kind of." <laughs> Me when I watch a show that's what's that called when they dubbed okay, dubbed, yeah. The- <laughs> Dubbed. Uh, dubbed. Yeah. Because when I first started watching I was like, what's going on with their mouths? What is happening? <laughs> it, t- it
0: took you like 45 minutes to be like, what's Something happening? Something is wrong. Is this, is
1: this like meant to <laughs> simulate a delusion? What's happening? And I've noticed that like people, a lot of the people in the show have like mustaches. Oh, So, so it's you can't, harder to yeah. tell. Yeah. <laughs> so when Freud is talking, you're like, yeah, I can't tell yeah. at all. But then like when a woman talks, like, oh, okay, it's dubbed. Her little <laughs> lips are not with her words.
0: See that never bothers me quite as much like I can't do subbed because I have to be watching to do that but what when I whenever I watch anything I'm doing other stuff right I'm never usually just watching the show right I don't know I just I have to be doing something yeah else. I
1: can't I can't do the subtitles either it's like too much work if like I, you said you want to do other things while you're right yeah. and
0: if i if i am just like i just want to sit down and watch a movie mm-hmm. then i'll i'll maybe do something that is that is subtitled but other than that
1: well there are parts of it that are very historic.
0: Well, so like I watched the little trailer bit, you know, because mm-hmm. when you scroll over something on Netflix, if there's anyone left in the world who doesn't have Netflix, <laughs> when you like go to one of the entries, it'll like autoplay a, a bit from it or a trailer right. or whatever. Right. The bit that they showed was like him talking about how hysteria is not, is not like just someone faking for attention. It's an actual medical mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and like we're doing hypnosis, which was what I mean, that was his actual stance on it. So, I mean, there are some parts of it that are...
1: There's a little thing in the very first episode where he's presenting this lecture to people who are really scoffing him Mm -hmm. about hypnosis. But he has this great little speech in there, which is, I think, where you're... That part that you're talking about. Because he starts by saying, I am a house...
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's in the trailer. Really, bit. It's really, p-
1: it's very powerful. In the house, and there's dark. Right. And there's, there's, but there's all the light, but it's
0: all in the house, and I am that house. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, damn, and the, and Sigmund and, the, okay. and so, like,
1: his unconscious is is the darkness. Right. His consciousness is just one little light in the house, and sometimes it flickers this way and it flickers that way. It's very good. It was I was it, just it was like, so cool. and he's a, he's he's a handsome man. Okay. I don't think of Freud as a young handsome man very often. I think of him as that old, you know, dude that's crotchety old. Well, you know, the that guy that we have as the guy our, on our logo. Yeah, 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 whom I've grown to love. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And that's why when I saw Freud like is a show on Netflix, I was like, oh, our dude, Right, Freud, it's him. our dude. I don't know that I would Freud. recommend it at this point. It's very bloody. There were some very bloody, gory scenes in it. And disturbing sexual stuff. Kind of so, like. Ugh.
0: So. Okay. First, <laughs> I did just search on Google. Was young Freud
1: hot? Um, <laughs> and. <laughs> what. Came, oh my gosh. What came up? What
0: came up was the very first one. That says young sexy Sigmund Freud gets Netflix show. There so. you go.
1: But I like little things like you said. Things that we do know he. Because I think. That very much, maybe that was even a speech he gave, I don't know, about the house.
0: I've never read it as part of his... Yeah, was when I read the blurb for it on on Netflix, it says he joins up with a psychic to solve a series of murders. hmm So I don't know if this is going to, like, get supernatural. Is that...
1: Well, they've kind of given hints about it being supernatural, yes, already. Okay. Yeah.
0: I'm going to... We're going to pause so I can turn my computer so you can see a picture of actual young Sigmund Freud.
1: Okay. He, ve- he kind of looks like the guy in the show. Very much like the guy in yeah. the show. Yeah. So I can't remember. What was his wife's name? Was it Marta? Did I he marry know. a Marta or was he in love? In the show, his girlfriend person who he wants to marry is, I think he said Marta or Martha, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole little scene about that. But I enjoyed his, notes. there's a little dialogue in like a letter dialogue in the beginning about between him and his fiance and he says something like um him being stronger than it's a like a little sexy dialogue but he says something about being stronger see who is stronger her with her little tiny self or I don't know how he puts it <laughs> or him as big strong man or whatever and she responds to him like I don't know if the cocaine is causing you to lose your division <laughs> because I am not a tiny little thing, you know, and something like that. And I was like, go, girl. But the show very much emphasizes his cocaine addiction. It's As like, it should. That's a, it's that's like a central, significant part of yeah, his life. Yeah, There's this little scene in the toward the beginning of the first episode where he's doing, I'm not going to try to give away all of it, but just that he's talking to his housekeeper and she did not want to help him with something. And he said, would you like to have a little cocaine with me? And she was like, Okay. <laughs> well, in that case, <laughs> twist let's my just arm, do not you? Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a lot. I don't know. It's fun though. I mean, it's creepy and it's gory, but <laughs> can that still be fun? I, like, I don't know. I, as someone who's been watching through Criminal Minds, you so would love just, this show. Okay. Actually. actually, there's and there's just a lot of weirdness in it. That's like, what is that about? That oh, we're yeah. gonna eventually. That's my, that's yeah. my stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say that's it's your jam it's your jam so you should watch it okay. and just I guess um, I don't know that I can recommend it you know for people but I would say there's some cool historical like references like the Martha Martha right, is right. he calls her and and the cocaine which we know is and the true and sure. um, and that you know he's kind of there's this kind of uh, the fact that he's Jewish in this environment that there's kind of starting to be this rising yeah. uncomfortableness about being a Jew and um, also just that idea that what he did, you know, people scoffed at. He was an outcast, basically. And that, you know, we think of him as this big famous guy that.
0: Well, and one of the things we talked about in our first episode when we talked about him was that he kind of sold out, that people mm-hmm. kind of got upset because he sold out. So maybe that'll come into play.
1: He got to a point where he couldn't fight it anymore. Okay, that's our unofficial critique of <laughs> Freud. The I haven't watched it so I don't on know. Netflix. So you got some time on your hands right now. Maybe you should watch it. So, but we're not talking about Freud today. We're not. We're talking about someone else, though. We are doing a a a person today. Mm -hmm. Who are we talking about today, Anna?
0: We're talking about Viktor Frankl. Who is Viktor Frankl, Mom?
1: He's like one of my favorites. (laughs) Uh, He is an existentialist, and um, he is the father of logotherapy, or logotherapy. We're going to talk about that today. Anna and I both kind of consider ourselves existentialists, I think. Don't you, Anna? I do. Like Sorry, when we when ironic. we first <laughs> when we I, <laughs> You okay
0: over there, Anna? I have been I started a new medication and it's been making me yawn a lot.
1: Uh-huh. She says that, but it's actually just me. I'm also me. just always I always <laughs> yawn. I'm always
0: tired. So a Tired girl.
1: I know that when we were in school we were supposed to give ourselves a title of what theory was our theory. I remember that with some paper we did or something that you said you were humanistic existentialist. Other way. I said existential humanistic. You said humanistic existential. Okay. There you go. We picked Basically the same thing. It's the same
0: thing. Also, we picked the two broadest terms. That's true. Other people were like, (laughs) I am like a very specific type and we're like- Solution based. We're this. (laughs) And it could be- And it could be 20,000 different things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I, I think that both of us are very much existentialists, and that we do, we embrace that whole idea that the meaning of life, you know, we're after. We're searching after the meaning for our lives. Well, life. and stuff like control
0: meaning. is also very existential. Mm-hmm. And like last episode, we talked a lot about control and how much can we control. And, and I've been talking a lot about that with my clients this absolutely,
1: week. Absolutely. Absolutely. And choices and responsibility and yeah, all that. So that's, we'll, all,
0: that's all existential. Yeah.
1: We'll get around to that when we talk about the theory. How about if we talk about the history first? How about we talk about the biography? Talk
0: about Victor.
1: Victor.
0: Frankel. that sounds russian he's not russian
1: <laughs> but german <laughs> i can't do a freaking a german accent
0: still <laughs> it's been 50 episodes i can't do a stupid german accent there was one day where i was like because pra- i just practice accents sometimes just for funsies <laughs> and i like nailed it i nailed a german accent and i was like oh oh nathan did you hear that and he didn't and and I was so excited, and I've never been able to do it again. I was very oh, upset. Oh, man. I know.
1: Embrace your ancestry, because you have a lot of German ancestry in there.
0: I don't know. We were doing the census, and Nathan was looking up all the names I've had, and all all, all your names, and, <laughs> and he, he kept coming up with English. So uh-huh. he's like, I'm just going to put the, your Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> I'm like, OK. <laughs> it's
1: fine. Well, your dad definitely had a lot of English genetics so maybe I sure. don't know I don't know maybe that's why you can't speak with a German accent girl
0: overridden I could do English pretty well
1: <laughs> that's true so okay. let's
0: talk about Victor mm-hmm. Victor Frankel was born on the
1: 26th of March
0: happy birthday
1: <gasps> oh that's bizarre we
0: are recording this on the 27th of March yeah so, Victor
1: dude belated
0: birthday uh, in 1905, in Vienna, Austria, into a Jewish family. Of uh, I'd like
1: to say that I knew the birthday thing when I suggested him, but it had nothing to do with it. That's I'm sorry. Right.
0: Okay, go on. You didn't have to even admit it. We would have just. <laughs> I could have just gone that. forward. Yeah. Uh, his family was mostly described as civil servants, so that was kind of his kind of middle class, I guess. Uh, Victor showed early interest in psychology, though. For his final exam in secondary school which is also high school, basically, mm-hmm. which was called gymnasium there.
1: <laughs> really? Yes.
0: That's a weird thing to call it. He wrote a paper about the psychology of philosophical thinking. So even early on, he was very toward that angle. Mom's doing he was sarcastic a th- air he quotes. He was a
1: thoughtsy kind of guy. Thoughtsy. Thoughtsy. That's like artsy, except thoughtsy. Thoughtsy. Yeah. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Just let it sink in. It'll make
0: sense. It- doesn't, but that's okay. You you make up a lot of Anna words that don't get, make sense. Anna doesn't
1: get me when she's sober.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's that's it. Uh, as a teenager, he actually engaged in some written correspondence with Freud, mm-hmm. our boy. Freud even asked Victor for permission to publish one of his papers.
1: Wow. He was in
0: high school. I mean, he was a teenager. Yeah. But
1: that's pretty good. I know. He's a smart, thought. I hope Freud guy. gave him credit. Probably didn't. Probably
0: not. <laughs> it's probably too high on cocaine. So after secondary school, Victor went on to study medicine at the University of Vienna. Uh, he focused on neurology and psychiatry, specifically depression and suicide. That was kind of his uh, what he what he really wanted to put his energy into. Mm-hmm. He also studied during this time Alfred Adler's ideas about individual psychology. So, I don't know if you're going to talk about this at all, but we talk about like the schools of psychology. Are you nodding? Because are you, were you going to mention this? It's okay. Go on. Okay. I'll re mention it. Okay. I'll re mention it. Uh, so, because it's significant, Freud is considered the first school in Viennese psychology. Uh, Adler is considered the second school. Mom is I'm enthusiastically the <laughs> holding up
1: her fingers. To I love show it when my notes are the same as Anna's notes, because that means I looked at something good, because she's show, smart. I thought she was just proving that she knows how to count to three.
0: Because <laughs> Viktor Frankl was considered the third school in Viennese psychology. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Mom is so good at I, counting on her one, fingers. Two, three. <laughs> She's doing aerobics over there. <laughs> Quarantine's going really well. Thanks I for asking.
1: <laughs> I'm a, I don't need alcohol at this point in my quarantine. I've already just kind of lost We've all lost my, it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, a little.
0: So during this time, during when he was uh, in the University of Vienna, he also published a paper about, <laughs> okay, I'm going to quote this. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to quote it. The influencing mimic movements of affirmation and negation. I looked for that. And I don't know what it means.
1: Could you say it one more time, slowly? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the influencing mimic movements of affirmation and
1: negation. Mimic
0: movements. Does that mean like chameleoning? we talked about like
1: mirroring people yeah, like physically. The mirror, that's when somebody does mimic something, movements? and then you do it also. But that, what, what does that have to do with what he was studying? What? How does that fit into all the other Neurology? stuff he was? Neurology.
0: I mean, we talked about like yeah. mirror
1: neurons. But was that what he was into? No, I
0: don't know. he was in neurology.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm not in neurology. I don't know. <laughs> All right, we'll just say it was, it was a hoity McToy. thing. It was fancy. It yeah, was, it, it's
0: it feels very much like thesis paper. Right. Like oh god, oh god, thoughtsy, thoughtsy.
1: It's gonna grow on you. It's okay, thoughtsy.
0: It's thoughtsy. How do you spell that? Like thought with sy on the end.
1: Yeah, like artsy. Same way you do artsy thinksy. No, I like thoughtsy Banksy. better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the guy who does the graffiti.
1: You're funny, you know? Anna.
0: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. uh, he also started to plan a paper or a book. It didn't really qualify, which he didn't end up writing. And that was called "Fools Tell the Truth," where wow. he said two times two make four, even if a paranoid patient says it. So that was leading into the basic idea that sick does not equal wrong, Mm -hmm. that someone who's sick does not mean that they're going to be incorrect about things or that they're never going to be right. Right. And that was kind of a key concept of his going forward. Uh, Also, while he was still a med student, he organized a program to counsel high school students. He focused especially on students when they got their report cards, basically, when they got their grades. Uh Uh-oh. He began it a few years before 1931. But in 1931, after this was, was implemented, not a single Viennese student committed suicide for the first time in several years. So because this was implemented as a proactive measure, they like saw almost immediate improvement in people's mental health. Wow. That's pretty cool, right?
1: Must be very stressful report cards.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I always didn't want to get a gym grade, so... <laughs>
1: Gymnasium grades. They're all
0: gymnasium grades here. Yeah,
1: that's just all bad.
0: So he graduated. He began working at the Steinhoff Psychiatric Hospital in Vienna. And he became chief of the Female Suicidals Pavilion. Or the... Oh, no. Okay, so here's where the German words start. I don't... I'm not... I can't. So... <laughs> you don't have to say i'm in german just oh yes i do oh okay uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what i have to do
1: <laughs> oh my daughter selbst... she's been like this since she was three the by the way
0: selbst pavilion okay which i believe means self-murder pavilion i sounds like it selbst pavilion german's hard i don't have the it's also throat dark to dark, do if german that's what
1: they called it that's I know. a pretty dark title
0: but he worked with over 3,000 suicidal women when he was there.
1: Good Lord. I know. That's a lot of women. And
0: that was in like a couple years. I mean, that was after he graduated. And then in 1937, he was on to something else. So like, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. Uh, in 1937, he did open a private practice. That was a bad time to open a private practice. <laughs> say Let so. me just say. Because... He's Jewish. Uh Uh, And about this time was when Nazi Germany was annexing Austria. That was in 1938. So he opened it in 1937, 1938. And at that time, there were mandates that Jewish practitioners couldn't treat, quote-unquote, Aryan patients. So he instead became chief of neurology at Vienna's Rothschild Hospital, which served the Jewish population. A few sources I found, not all, but a few said that while he was here, while he was at the Rothschild Hospital, he risked his own health and safety by making intentionally false diagnoses for mentally ill patients because...
1: He didn't want them to get killed?
0: Yes. The Mm -hmm. Nazi policies would have euthanized them. Right, right. So he gave them intentionally false diagnoses. Again, not all sources I saw said that, but Mm -hmm. a few did. So it's kind of unclear whether or not he actually did that.
1: Um, I'm waiting for you to get to the good or bad thing. Because that kind of fits with it.
0: It does. It does. There's Victor Frankl is an interesting character. Mm-hmm. He has a bit of a gray morality, I think.
1: Well, and there are, as you say, there are differing reports too. Right, it depends right. on what you, w- what source you read yeah. as to what his morality really was.
0: Well, because then there's this part too, where around this time he also got an immigration pass to America, and he decided not to use it because he didn't want to abandon his older parents. Hmm. Around this time, he also uh, married Tilly Grosser in 1941.
1: So he could have gotten out of there. Yeah. Huh.
0: Yeah, right before things all went right, to crap. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am going to read this part from Wikipedia. Early in 1942, Frankel approached Nazi officials and requested to operate without any surgical qualifications nor medical precedents in support for the procedure. Uh, Exploratory brain lobotomy and trepanation medical experiments approved by the Nazis on unnamed Jews who had committed suicide with an overdose of sedatives in an act of resistance toward a fate of intended arrest, interrogation, imprisonment, and enforced labor in the concentration camp system. So this was approved. He was able to, without, he didn't have any surgical training. So without this surgical training, he was able to do lobotomies on people who, had already died,
1: so they were corpses. Yeah, they were dead. Okay,
0: that's what. And I've seen people criticizing him for like doing lobotomies, and
1: people saying like, "That's not technically a lobotomy if the person's dead, is it?" No, it's just a
0: it's just brain surgery, right? right.
1: It autopsy basically, or yeah. a, or experimentation on cadavers. It was called
0: exploratory brain lobotomy. And trepanation, which is where you drill holes in the head.
1: But, but again, the person's dead. I mean, I'm not saying that it was maybe real moral to do it, but the right. person was dead. Right. So it's not like he was... Well, he
0: was also doing some other stuff. So uh,
1: <laughs> he also... the tip of the iceberg. Uh,
0: that's kind of the middle of the iceberg, I think. Oh, okay. The, because the bottom of the iceberg is that he would insert amphetamine drugs into the brains of these people who had died, who he was experimenting on, basically. Right. These corpses... And it would result at times in an alleged partial resuscitation.
1: Holy crap. That's like Frankenstein.
0: I, okay. I think if you insert an amphetamine drug directly into the brain, the body's going to twitch a little.
1: I don't think it- depends on how long it was dead.
0: Yeah, I guess. I don't think he brought anyone back to life.
1: (laughs) Good. I don't think he cured death. That's good. That's good. I I think think we would have heard about that. I
0: think we would have heard about that. Yeah. Okay, so I do want to be clear. I spent a good hour just researching this part mm-hmm. where I, I couldn't find that many sources. And like what I just read is directly from Wikipedia. But I use several and I generally use several biography sources when I right. do these histories. Right. And this was the only place this was mentioned. And the citations kind of led to dead ends. So like the primary sources that Wikipedia mentioned, I, I, I wasn't able to get a clear answer from them either. Okay. Okay. So I don't know if this was reported from like an autobiographical source or if someone who did a biography of him mentioned it Mm -hmm. or if it was in Nazi records that someone found. I don't, I don't know. Now, you can probably guess where this is going because Mm -hmm. I keep mentioning Nazis Mm -hmm. because they're an important part of this story. We've kind of talked about other psychologists, how like they were in, like, I mean, Freud was a Viennese Jew as well. Right. right. So, I mean, th- we've talked about other psychologists who were around at this time and in Germany at this time, and they generally, like, got the heck out. Right, exactly. They got the hell out of Dodge, mm-hmm. but he didn't. Right. In September of 1942, Victor would be among some of the last uh, Jewish people, actually, who were taken by the Nazis. So he, his wife, and his parents were sent to the Theresianstadt ghetto in occupied Czechoslovakia. This ghetto actually housed mostly middle class to upper class Jewish families. It was specifically set up like a model community,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it was set up so people permitted to come inspect the concentration camps, like Red Cross Red workers Cross. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They could come inspect this one and basically come away with reports of everything looks they fine. Look, is, it's not
1: so bad. Everything's fine. There's definitely
0: yeah. no slave labor, or death furnaces. Right, right. nothing's wrong. Um, so it was kind of a, like, I picture one of those, like, movie set towns where everything's, like,
1: yeah, wood. with all the facades. Yes, and, yeah. exactly.
0: Victor worked in a clinic here in Theresienstadt until his psychiatry skills were noticed by the Nazis, at which point he was put to work establishing, uh, they called it a psychohygiene service. So that's, especially with newcomers to the camp, he made them answer a questionnaire, and then he assessed it, and it thought... it. Asked questions like, have you ever considered suicide? What's keeping you from suicide now? Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that. It basically became a suicide watch. He was on suicide watch for especially the people who were new to the camp. Fun fact, he was assisted by the first female rabbi. That's cool, isn't it? Her name was Regina Jonas. That's wow. Neat.
1: Interesting tidbit.
0: Interesting tidbit. A less fun fact, a less interesting tidbit is that uh, Victor's father died at this camp, reportedly of starvation. Mm-hmm. So after a few years, there began to be mass deportations as part of what was called the beautification process. Uh, In October 1944, Victor, his wife Tilly, his mother, and others, they actually specifically mentioned Regina Jonas, were transported to Auschwitz. His mother was killed there in the gas chambers almost immediately. Mm. Uh, His wife was transported to Bergen-Belsen, where she was killed. She was 24 years old. Bergen-Belsen is also where Anne
1: Frank was. That caught that caught my eye mm-hmm. that Anne Frank was there. Yeah. it's weird to wrap your brain around that.
0: Yeah, especially like I don't I don't know about you, but like Anne Frank, I don't picture at the same time period as like Viktor Frankl. Right,
1: it's hard for me to think of Anne Frank as an actual person. Yeah, because I know kind of what you mean because we've kind of put her up there as almost like a make-believe character or something. Well, especially she when we
0: think of her, we think of her in isolation. Right. We think of her like in the attic, but eventually she was at a camp with, with so many other people. Right, right. Victor himself was sent to Kaufring, uh, a subsidiary camp of Dachau. Uh, according to Victor, it was here, th- this is from, I believe, an autobiographical source, He reported that there was a hunger strike and a worker strike because someone had stolen, like, a bag of potatoes. Mm -hmm. And the Nazis were like, hey, if you guys don't tell us who did it, no one eats. And the workers were like, fine, no one eats. And they all kind of went on this hunger strike. And Victor says that he was approached by a block warden, a capo they called him, Mm -hmm. uh, and asked to help with the other workers' morale. So basically by his own report, he like stood up from his bunk that night and gave this rousing speech about not losing hope and about how they could restore what had been taken from them um, and all this stuff and people went back to work the next mm. day. So again, that's according to Frankel. Also, according to him, uh, it was due to his physical initiative at this work camp at Calfering that he was gifted premium coupons from the Nazis. In mm-hmm. late 1944, beginning in, in, of 1945. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of became a little bit of a golden boy. He came down with typhoid at some point. He was allowed to leave Kaufering and was sent to Turkheim, which was a rest camp. And this was March 1945. And here he became a kapo. He became a block warden. Um, So he was put in charge of 50 men and he also, when he was here, began writing his book and that continued until the camps were liberated in April of 1945. Besides Victor, the only surviving member of the Frankel family was his sister Stella and that was only because she had emigrated to Australia before all this went down.
1: Mm. You think there were ever times that he thought, gosh, I should have gone. I should have gone to America, taken my wife and gone.
0: I mean, I think that would come after like oh, my parents were killed anyway. They were going to die anyway. Like, yeah. I had yeah. no control over that. Right.
1: We're back to the no control thing. Right. Yeah.
0: So after escaping the concentration camps, Victor dictated his now well-known work, which he finished in 1946. So that was a quick turnaround. He started yeah. in 1945. Okay, this book has like four titles. I Did know. You look at this?
1: I know, I know. Man's search for meaning that... The, Man's
0: search for meaning is what it's traditionally that's what known most for. Most people
1: know it as, yeah.
0: Okay, it's also called. But, yeah. Listen to this. Trotzdem, ja, Leben sagen, ein psychology. Psychology? Psychology? It looks like psychology.
1: Uh
0: huh. El, das. Oh, I can't say this one. Concentration slugger. So, concentration camp, probably. huh. And that translates to saying yes to life in spite of everything a psychologist experiences the concentration
1: camp. That's a long title.
0: That is, we needed to put that in the workshop a bit, bud. <laughs> that, ne- that one needed to stay in the oven for a little while.
1: Oh, I don't know that you should use that terminology. Oh, you're, you're right. About. <laughs> I shouldn't even laugh at it. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's all right. Take deep breath. <sighs> Does it have any other titles?
0: Yeah. So Man's Search for Meaning is the English title that it's known for. And also From Death Camp to Existentialism. Ah. Three. It's three, I guess.
1: I mean, if it's if it's mostly... I've never read the book. I, mean, um, I thought about it when I was doing all the research, but... That I really should have read that by now, but I haven't. (laughs) Man's search for meaning is very broad compared to all the 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 other ones that are very specific about the camps, right? Because there's apparently a lot in it about his experience in the concentration camp. Well, that's where he developed the theory, basically. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I think some of it comes from the work he did previously, but that's where he really and that was so the basic theory in the book was that after seeing all the suffering and death in the camps. That even in those, like, really painful, dehumanizing conditions, life had a potential meaning. Right. And that even suffering could be meaningful because life even had a meaning in that environment. Right. Uh, right. So it led him to believe that people are driven to find meaning in their lives. And this would eventually be the basis for logotherapy and existential analysis uh, which he actually started before World War II and just sort of that solidified it. Mm -hmm. So in 1946 he began running the Vienna Polyclinic of Neurology where he stayed until 1971 so it's 25 years. Who's there for a while? In 1947 he married his second wife Eleanor Katharina Schwind she was a practicing Catholic and the couple respected that so they respected the religious backgrounds they went to both church and synagogue they celebrated Christmas and Hanukkah Mm -hmm. Um, and they had one daughter Gabrielle who went on to become a child psychologist actually In 1948, he got his Ph.D. with a dissertation called The Unconscious God, which is an examination on how psychology and religion interact. Mm -hmm. He got so many awards. Mm -hmm. He's gotten so many awards. The American Psychiatric Association awarded him the 1985 Oscar Pfister Award. For important contributions to religion and psychiatry, he lectured and taught all over the world. Received 29 honorary doctoral degrees. Good lord. Oh my god. You have to say all 29 doctors when you... <laughs> doctor, 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 no, doctor, 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 doctor. doctor Dr. Dr. Frankel. He published 39 books altogether. They were translated into 49 languages. Just very prolific. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he made his time count. Thoughtsy. Thoughtsy. Uh... <laughs> And eventually, he died of heart failure on September second, nineteen ninety seven. Um, he was survived by his wife Eleanor, their one daughter, their two grandchildren, and their three great grandchildren. Nineteen
1: ninety seven isn't that long ago, and
0: really not. In the I mean, I was scope alive. Scope of things. Yes. Yep.
1: It's very cool. And
0: I'm eighteen years old,
1: so. <laughs> 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 Me too. Um, <laughs>
0: But yeah, let's... Can I
1: tag on to when you said the things about the awards and stuff, and mm -hmm. you were talking about how he is considered the third Viennese school of psychotherapy, but also logotherapy was recognized as one of the scientifically-based schools of psychotherapy by the American Medical Society, the American Psychiatric Association, and the American Psychological Association. Yeah. So He was
0: really empirically based. Right. He, like, really valued evidence. Mm
1: -hmm. So even though existentialism is kind of hard to, tie data. To evidence, yeah. yeah. He is, as you said, he's he's very securely has a good foundation of being for reals, man. <laughs> he's for reals.
0: For reals and for <laughs> laboratories. And yes. I didn't look at any of the, like, data.
1: Oh, but there's so much of it. Oh, there's a lot there of data. There is so much of it. Mom's
0: about to dump so many numbers on no, us. No, I'm
1: not going to dump numbers. But.
0: Well, okay, so do you want to talk about his theories first, or would you like to talk about some of the controversy first?
1: Um... Let's go ahead and get the controversy out of the way and let's finish with theory because that way we can finish with how we can use logotherapy in our own life if we choose to do so. Okay,
0: so some of the controversy, and I sort of already mentioned it, is that there have been some people who, well, first there have been some people who criticized Victor for having an account of being an Auschwitz survivor. Mm -hmm. There were no records that he was interned at Auschwitz. He went through it, but he didn't get like a number there or anything. He just was like on the like his mother was killed in Auschwitz but he and his wife just like went through Auschwitz Passed and were through. yeah they were like in the holding cells basically mm-hmm. and then they were transported to other camps so he wasn't in Auschwitz right he's still a concentration camp survivor right so i think that he probably is just sensationalized it a little bit mm-hmm. which i agree he shouldn't have done that but he still survived concentration camps, right? Um, but there were some people that said he was being intentionally deceptive, oh. as as having stayed in Auschwitz. Mm. Some people have also raised that, like finding meaning can be used for evil too. That, like for the Nazis, finding meaning
1: was to have was the Aryan race and
0: basically make
1: a world that was free of Jewish people. Right. Well, I mean, technically, yeah, your meaning in life could be evil. Right. You could choose that your meaning is is an evil right. choice whatever that so is I think that that's is. how yeah. some
0: people like criticize his actual theory That's weird theory. But okay yeah and finally, there were some that criticized him for the lobotomies that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, saying that this was a way for him to maybe ingratiate himself with the Nazis. Right. So they wouldn't have to list the suicides on records. Like they would mark them off if he experimented on them. Oh. His critics also don't like that he was doing this without any training as a surgeon, which I can understand.
1: Yeah, that's kind of weird.
0: Again, I don't have as much of a problem with this because they were dead bodies. Mm, maybe mm. I don't. I don't really care. Okay, sure.
1: I mean, I guess if it was somebody I cared about's dead body.
0: If you were to tell me that like after I died, someone was going to do quote unquote inhumane experiments on my body, I'd be like, okay, it's not mine anymore. (laughs) I don't don't care. It's a meat suit that I was using for a while. (laughs) Who cares?
1: You're very existential about your meat suit.
0: (laughs) I am. (laughs) My meat suit doesn't matter. That's good. That's a good way to be, I guess. (laughs) My meat suit isn't who I am. That's true. So mom, what did I've I've alluded to it as to again the reason that we talk about histories when we mm-hmm. talk about psychologists is because it informs their theory right. and it sounds like Victor had his theory kind of in mind before he went through Well the that's I think interesting
1: stuff. because when you first start to study Frankl you think well it all came from the concentration camp experience but it, as you said it's not at all he kind of had all that before so it's interesting how his he was set up for what his life became and then he held on to that throughout I think that came
0: from working with depressed suicidal people right one of the things that we use a lot with people who are having suicidal ideation is what's stopping you from doing that like what's the meaning that you're putting in your life to stop yourself from doing that right so I think probably that's where that and to focus on that
1: yes very much so so Frankl's Log, you say logotherapy.
0: Is that not how you say it? I, I don't know.
1: I've heard people say logo, logo therapy. logotherapy. Logotherapy. It's like if you put too much emphasis on But logos in Greek means meaning. Logos. Therapy. So that's, that's uh, it's duh. It means <laughs> finding the, the meaning in your life and that that is what the therapy is based on, is, is focusing on your Meaning, and when Anna mentioned that the three schools that I did my little numbers for, <laughs> uh, the Viennese schools of psychotherapy, that you can see the difference in that because logotherapy is based on the whole idea of existential analysis, which is focusing on. <laughs> Kierkegaard's. I just said to Anna before we started, when I hear these names, I it's like I, I panic about saying them wrong because I can hear our professors saying <laughs> them. Kierkegaard. There you go. Who focused on will to meaning. So everything is about the meaning. Right. Adler was more about will to power, that we were striving for power. And Freud was will to pleasure. <laughs> Good old Freud. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, rather than the power or the pleasure stuff that was going on, it's all about meaning in life. And what if so, your
0: meaning is pleasure or power? Well,
1: you know that almost was something I said, but I did. <laughs> I guess I guess if it is I that, it, it all just works together, hunky dory. If you're like just
0: that. a hedonist and that's your life meaning, <laughs> like do it,
1: man. So this is all about having a clear why in our life. Why do you do the things that you do? And Anne and I have made jokes about this. Since we started into counseling about, (laughs) because we were kind of instructed at some points in our education that you shouldn't really say to a client, you shouldn't ask them why. Why? Because they don't respond well to that question. Right. I will say kids
0: don't. Kids don't know what that (laughs) means. What the hell
1: are you asking me? So
0: instead, I'll say it like, what makes you do that? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's different ways to phrase it. But now, I just, I, I straight up ask clients why. I do too. If they're like saying something that they're doing that's unhealthy, especially, I'll be like, why? Why do mm-hmm. you do that?
1: Why are you doing that?
0: Why are you doing that?
1: <laughs> and then if they don't answer that, then you then you adjust it and you say something like, what's it doing for you? Or, right. What do you get out of that? Or whatever. But yeah, it all comes down. The reality of it is it's a why question. Yeah. Because quite honestly, we, we constantly on this podcast talk about self-awareness. And a big core of self-awareness is knowing why you do what you do. Yeah. What is the meaning behind what you do? So Victor focused a lot on the idea that basically kind of what Anna was talking about in the concentration camps, that everything can be taken from a person except one thing, and that is that we we choose how we're going to respond and react, to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. So it goes back to that thing, and I've heard, I've had clients say this to me like, well, I know that they can't make me mad, but they really make me, you know, yeah. I know I'm choosing to let this upset me or whatever. And it's one thing to say that and to be like, I, I, I can choose how I react to that person. But it's not an easy thing always. It's not
0: easy, but, but it's also sometimes we don't have control over our feelings. Right. But we have control of what we do over Do over, over them. our feelings, yeah. Wow, that's deep, Anna. So deep.
1: <laughs> Franco believed that many illnesses, specifically, of course, mental health issues, are disguised existential angst. And that people are just struggling with lack of meaning in their life. He called the lack of meaning existential vacuum. When you don't have meaning in your life. I like that. And so one of the things that if you actually would be using Logos therapy. You would be doing. uh, There are lots of different measures of how you feel about the meaning in your life. And there's one online that I did. Oh. That's like a core assessment. It's called Purpose in Life Test. Quite frankly, I'm not sure if he designed it or someone else designed it who studies that. But in this particular one, and you can find it online, purpose in life test. There that? are 20 questions.
0: Like if you search purpose in life test, like mm-hmm. the very first one's like a PDF. It's the
1: very first one. And like it has 20 questions and it asks you on a scale of one to five to answer each of those. Do you have it up, Anna? Mm-hmm. Read the first one, would you?
0: Well, the one I'm looking at is like a, a Likert scale. Yeah. So like a one to five. Right. I am usually and then the options go from bored to enthusiastic and you have to rate yourself. Yeah, I
1: like how the words cuz for each question there are different words for the likert. Yeah. So the first one says from 1 to 5 bored. What? So
0: 1 is bored, 5 is enthusiastic. Uh-huh.
1: And the first question says I am usually. I am usually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't remember it being that vague, but yeah. So are you usually bored or usually enthusiastic or fall somewhere, somewhere in the in middle, uh-huh. yeah.
0: The second one is life to me seems and then one is completely routine and then that goes up to five which is always exciting.
1: Right. So the idea of this self-test and, and you know, we've talked about self-t- self-tests before because they're obviously they are very subjective because, you know, you could, depending on the mood when you're taking the test, yeah. I mean, you could be having a really crappy day and, and score low and then have a really good day and score really high or you might misjudge, you know, well, should I put a four or five and that can make all the difference. According to this particular one that Anna's looking at, if you get below a 50, then you're perhaps having existential void. Yes. But I th- I found it interesting to take it just because it made me think about it. especially right now we we're talking about how the whole quarantine thing and um, I with- think a
0: lot of people are experiencing the existential void right now yes especially in our I say this every freaking time and I always end up doing it not to get political but we live in a capitalist hellscape. And our meaning is put a lot... We into- should put,
1: like, a little footnote that that's, that's your thing.
0: The views expressed by, <laughs> by this co-host by Anna do is not, not necessarily, necessarily reflect anyone else. But we okay. do live in a capitalist telescope. That is <laughs> objective. So <laughs> that... Oh. In a capitalist society, do you want me to stop using the word hellscape? Is yes, that, please. Is that a little value-loaded language? It is
1: very value-loaded for some people <laughs> a who don't have the same feeling. you. A society you
0: puts your value in your work. I mean, like, what you do. Like, that's the first thing we mention when we introduce ourselves to people. It's not, hi, I'm Anna. I sometimes like to crochet when I don't have a lot of quit about it. <laughs> It's like, hey, I'm Anna and I'm a counselor. I mean, people say their job as part of their initial It's their identity. It's their identity. So, I mean, especially in this time where we're being, a lot of people are being forced not to go to their jobs, Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of value out of people's lives.
1: I say, hi, I'm Bonnie. I'm a hugger. Are you a hugger?
0: (laughs) And then it's like, we're quarantined. Stay six feet away from me, please. Back off,
1: lady. Back Back away. (laughs) Okay, are you done with your... Are you putting your soapbox away?
0: Was I getting upset?
1: No, you don't get upset. You just get on that soapbox, girl. (laughs) Okay, I want other people to get upset. All right. Don't get upset. Let's all be calm. (laughs) We're quarantined, for God's sake. We don't have
0: a lot of room to get upset in here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you about the core properties that Franco believed in. And they're kind of, in my opinion, I don't know if it's, I want to say redundant or vague. I don't know. He had three core properties that his theory is based on. The first one is that each person has a healthy core. So everybody inside is healthy. Somewhere in okay, there, we're sure. all healthy. Okay, the second one is, one's primary focus is to enlighten others to their own internal resources and provide them tools to use their inner core. Okay. So we should be trying to help each other to find that goodness in each That's other. That's a meaning,
0: wait. Wait. I don't know
1: that's what it says our but primary the, do you want me to read it exactly again yeah one's primary focus is to enlighten others to their own internal resources and provide them tools to use their inner core
0: okay victor you can't say victor. everyone gets to make their own meaning and then have one of your key tenants be a meaning making thing because that's what i believe my meaning life meaning is
1: oh i see yeah i see what you're saying there
0: but I think some people don't have Might not feel that, that that's
1: true. He believes that that's okay. a core. And the third one is life offers purpose and meaning, but does not promise fulfillment or happiness. Okay. So sometimes life sucks. It doesn't mean it doesn't have meaning. Right. Which for everybody right now who's feeling very trapped by the whole quarantine stuff that's going on it's hard right now it is a hard time but that doesn't mean that we don't have meaning or purpose right so he specifically says there are ways that we can find meaning if we're struggling with knowing what the meaning in our life is and these are the ways he's going to give us suggestions for finding meaning the first one is (laughs) you can
0: all pick your own crap but also here's what i think you should do and
1: here's one for anna by creating a work (laughs) <laughs> or doing a deed so finding meaning in something you do
0: okay I think our society has moved into more of a, especially younger generations have moved less from like put meaning into the work you're in and move to more of a go to the work you find meaningful mm-hmm. not the other way around
1: yeah but unfortunately some people don't really yeah. have that choice sometimes okay the second way of finding meaning is by experiencing something or encountering someone I what <laughs> experiencing something or encountering someone so i think the way i look at that is like through relationships uh, sure and and cultural when people yeah. are
0: like i just want experiences for my honeymoon just like give me money <laughs> you know no i think that's yeah that was said no, in my no. disparaging stacy voice but uh. like <laughs> But actually, no. You're sassy today, I think anyway. that. Is, I think that is a really cool... Uh, I've actually talked to some of my friends about doing that about like when they're making like because a lot of people move out on their own before they have a wedding registry. Right. So I've talked to a lot of people friends, clients, whoever who are like we don't need anything. Don't need another mixer. Like we have two households worth of stuff that we're about to merge. Right. right. We don't need anything to put in our registry and I've had to be like well ask for money for experiences like ask for money to use on your honeymoon or ask for like that's kind of what Nathan and I did Mm -hmm. because we also had two households with the stuff that we were merging so we just asked for like cash and then we like went on a road trip
1: cool there you go whatever
0: yeah but I I, I can see that putting meaning experiences thing
1: so the last one is by the attitude that we take toward unavoidable suffering that would be key that's a deep one yep yep okay so I kind of want to just circle around to the idea that when we talk about Frankl, it, it kind of seems like he's a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. But he, in reality, he wasn't really a terribly spiritual person. Although he did talk about that human beings consist of body, mind, and spirit. But when he said body, mind, and spirit, he didn't mean spirit like, I mean... Religion. like Religion. Right. For me, as a Christian when i say spirit i'm i think about what i call my soul you know like that part of me that i believe will live on after my meat sack as you call it dies yes i believe that my soul my spirit will live on that's not really what frankl was talking about that's just
0: a connotation denotation thing
1: exactly Frankel argued that we have a body and a mind but the spirit is what we are it's our essence so it's not that's, necessarily that's like That's interesting
0: because that's how I would say it. Right. It's not necessarily
1: say, like a spiritual religious right. kind of thing. Like
0: body is what we look like. Right. Mind is what we think. But spirit
1: is who we are. But see, again, to me, that's connotation, denotation. Mm-hmm. Because what you just said is what my soul is. Right. right. Like when, when my body is dead, I'm still going to be Bonnie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm still going to be this spirit that but I am sitting you, here with my meat sack on. Right.
0: Well, that's, because, that's going into the discussion of the afterlife. But even if you don't believe in an afterlife, right. you can believe that you have a spirit and a who you
1: are. Right. So a lot of times, I guess the the reason I kind of circled back to this is that one of the reasons I really liked the idea of um, Viktor Frankl when I first started studying about him in grad school was that I felt like it was a very spiritual message, that logos therapy is a very spiritual message, that meaning of life. But that's because for me... The meaning, the meaning of, of life, life is spiritual, is spiritual right. right. But I have to remember kind of what you said before about some something else that just because that's my meaning doesn't mean that it is the meaning, right. you know, for, for everybody. So,
0: well, I think that's the core of it is that you choose your own meaning, right? That's my brand of existentialism is people are like, well, what's the purpose? And I'm like, there is none. There is no designated purpose. You find it. You make it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: no one's going to tell you what your meaning is you, you have, have to, to make find it. your
1: own meaning yeah see I, I would just again connotation denotation I wouldn't say you have to make it you have to find it find it Yes. yeah okay so just very quickly some taglines here at the end and that is that life has meaning in all circumstances so no matter what you're going through right now there is meaning to be found there and it's your choice to instead of letting it flow over you and either hurt you or ignore it or however, to find meaning in it, whatever it is you're going through. Another tagline is that all humans have a will to meaning. I like that.
0: That they're driven to find meaning? Which means that
1: meaning is our primary motivation. Yeah. Yeah, that's our primary motivation. And we have a freedom to find our meaning even if we're not physically free. I mean, right now, being in quarantine, you can't go out and you know do all the things you'd maybe like to do. But, right. but or people who are in prison or people who are physically unable to move their bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a, a way of thinking they're not really free. But if their mind is still there, they find their meaning. And the last little tagline is that individuals are all unique. And Franco was big on that, that every single individual person goes through some very different things. There are therapists who use logotherapy these days, but quite frankly, you probably won't find a therapist that just says, I'm a logotherapist. Logo yeah. It's more like when we started um, the episode and we were talking about how existentialism is very broad and you can like throw a bunch of stuff in there. So if you go to a therapist who maybe picks some of this and uses it, you might see there's a there are three techniques that are specifically logotherapy. One is called de-reflection. I've never, I don't remember what? studying that. What
0: does that de-reflection mean? De-reflection
1: is, it says, it's aimed at helping someone focus away from themselves and toward other people. So it, I think of it like, Sometimes when I have someone who's depressed and I suggest they try to do something for other people to try to take some of the focus off the woe is me thing and focus outward for a little I had, while. I
0: had a client today who was like, I know this is a thing I need to be thinking about and like processing, but I don't want to navel gaze. Have you ever heard that? It,
1: yeah. Like that just means like... Actually, my mom used to say stare at your belly button. Navel gaze. Yeah, yes, That's <laughs> just that a means. different way to say <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> Quit staring at your belly button and think about somebody else for a change. Which just
0: means like being mm. caught up in your own thoughts. Right. So, so that's, yeah. so
1: she's, she's feeling she's, that she's called she's de- to de- reflecting anyway, Exactly. Yes. She's doing it. The second one is- De-reflecting
0: par- is just a weird way to it say that. It is weird, that. isn't it? The well, second- because also I, I want people to reflect.
1: Absolutely. Like we need to do both. Don't stop doing that. Yeah. 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 The third one is paradoxical intention. Remember oh, when we talked like, about that? That's one of my favorites. Okay. You want to tell me what it is?
0: Paradoxical intention, I'm not going to say it right, is- When you basically try to accomplish something by doing the opposite. Exactly. So that's, we also call it prescribing the problem sometimes. Uh So if someone's like, hey, I really can't sleep. You have to do this subtly. So I'm going to use a blunt example, Uh but this is not how you would say it. You would be like, try to stay awake. Try to stay up all night. Just do it. Just stay up all night. Mm -hmm. Or if someone's like, we can't stop fighting, like a couple or something, you'd be like, okay, go home and try to start a fight. Mm -hmm. Try it.
1: I want you to fight every night between fight now every and the night. next time we see each other. Yeah, yeah. so Have it's a really good fight. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of logotherapy. Fun. I know.
0: How did he describe it?
1: Almost exactly like you did. A technique that has the patient uh, wish for the thing that is most feared or dreaded. It says that they often use it for people with anxiety or phobias. Like if mm-hmm. you think
0: kind of exposure. Everybody, yeah.
1: Everybody's gonna laugh at me. If I go out in public, everybody's going to laugh at me. I have a fear of people making fun of me. So then you say, go out and make a total fool of yourself and like do the opposite of what you want to happen. Right, right. Um, so the last one is Socratic dialogue.
0: Like that too. That's just asking questions, right?
1: Exactly. Which kind of is all therapy if you think about any kind of talk therapy. Well, is-
0: Socrates was very, Why?
1: that's it goes back to the why 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 yeah
0: like when I was learning about Socrates when I was in undergrad I loved that because they called him the gadfly uh that was like his nickname his fun little nickname the gadfly he was very loved apparently (laughs) but like (laughs) but he would it was because whenever someone would ask him question like uh like state their kind of ideas to him he'd be like why why do you think that? And then they'd answer that and be like, well, "Why do you think that?" Uh-huh. Like, and then he'd just like keep digging to the like root you of did it. when
1: you were two and three,
0: <laughs> like all people do when they're two or three. Don't put this on me,
1: That's and you still me. do now. Don't I still <laughs> t- I never grew out of it from
0: the ages of two to now.
1: <laughs> so I think that I would I would scoop it all up and put it in a bag by saying, <laughs> <laughs> That's even though fun. it seems it seems very open ended and broad that it as as Anna said it's very this particular type of theory and therapy has been empirically studied right many many times and my my last little note says more than 1700 empirical and theoretical papers have been published wow on logotherapy and more than 59 measurement instruments developed on the topic wow that one that we looked at for purpose in life test is just one of 59. That's a lot. (laughs) So it's apparently a very real thing, you know, that we are all have this longing for finding meaning in our life. And and I think a big part of therapy, I know that that when i think about the work that i've done with my clients as a counselor we often just talk about you know what what is important to you yeah why are you like you said if you're you're not going to commit suicide let's talk about why you're yeah. not and what's important you know if if you're having an affair why are you having an affair why you know what is the meaning in your relationship with your spouse mm-hmm. it, it no matter what it is you're dealing with it comes down to why why what's the meaning of that in your life so mm-hmm. okay that's it for Frankel, baby. That's it. I'm going to have to read the book. Meaning. Meaning of life book. Meaning of life book. <laughs> <laughs> to find out man that it's 42 or whatever it is. Or whatever he's. A, yeah. Man it? and. man search is for meaning. Man's. Man needs meaning. to find some meaning. Man's life meaning. Men need meaning. Man search for meaning. There you go. What about women? Do we search for meaning? Oh, sorry. <laughs> women are
0: from Venus. <laughs> <laughs> women are from Venus. Man search for meaning. <laughs>
1: And there you have it.
0: My meaning could be going to space if they would let me. My meaning could be on Venus. Let me go to
1: Venus. Settle down. Join our Patreon so I can go to Venus. Yeah. Help support Anna. Help Help support Anna to get to Venus. The next time that we um, have an episode together, we're going to have a, a little special guest who is a plush figure guest that one of our faithful, faithful oh. Sipsters, Katie, has developed for us. I'm not. That, I'm just going to... That's like a teaser. Oh, my God. You'll have to tune in next episode because... Katie made us something? Katie made us Katie. something and it's going to be really cool. I haven't picked it up yet, but... I think it's going to be amazing when I do see it. So. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna cry. So stay tuned for that, Sibsters. That will be our our special guest star. Will be our, our new guest star, plush buddy. Our new
0: plush friend.
1: Yep. Oh my gosh. Just wait.
0: Hey, can I thank the listeners? Please and do. You do our ending thing.
1: Oh, okay. Let's try that.
0: Thank you so much, listeners, for listening, for doing the listening that you're doing. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm not as good at this part it's as Bob It's not easy. That it's not easy to part. thank the listeners. Sipsters, we love you so much. We hope. You are staying safe. We hope you are washing your hands a lot. Wash your hands. We hope you are social distancing. Mm -hmm. We hope you use this time of social distancing to find your meaning and to do things that are meaningful for you. Ooh,
1: that's a good tie-in, Anna. That's a very good tie-in. Thank you. And we thank you for what you're doing to um, help us all because I, I am reminded every day that people who are doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is washing our hands and social distancing and not unnecessarily... Being out and about. And
0: also people who are necessarily being about, like like medical workers.
1: My son and your brother, who's on the front lines. We thank you all for doing your part to keep all of us safe. Yes. We appreciate that. So we do thank you for listening. And we remind you that you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. All at Freudian Sips Pod, as well as at our site, of course, FreudianSipsPod.com. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. And of course, we are also on Patreon. If you want to support the show, as I said, we're also Freudian Sips Pod right there. And our, and our uh, third chapter of our book review just went up. So I saw the That's little so ad for it. Sad. So yeah, if you want to hear about the book, Patreon. She saw the ad for it. She's but. on this podcast. <laughs> And she's like, oh, it went up because I saw the oh, ad for it. Oh, Anna Anna did the technical stuff there. Thanks for the technical stuff, Anna. You're welcome. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening. Apple, Podchaser, what, all those technical things. Because we love to hear from you. We love to know that you're listening and that you enjoy. Because we certainly enjoy being with you. Our theme music is Sweet vermouth by Kevin MacLeod. And it sounds like this.